Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A Trump ally testifies in the hush money case against the former president. He's expected to contradict a key witness as New York prepares for protests if Trump is indicted. A four and a half hour talk between Russia's Vladimir Putin and China's Xi Jinping. What the two are saying and how the White House reacts to a so-called peace plan put forward by the Chinese regime. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says an American who was wrongfully detained overseas for six years has been released. This comes as the Department of State publishes its annual worldwide human rights report. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis calling on his state to ban the use of a central bank digital currency. He says the federal government could exert control with such a currency. And President Biden uses his veto power for the first time, turning down a bill that tried to push back against the ESG investing movement. Unsuspected testimony today in the probe of former President Trump. The former advisor to a key witness against Trump took the stand. NTD's Arlene Richards has the latest developments. Former President Trump put the political world on alert over the weekend with a statement that he expects to be indicted on Tuesday. He expects to be accused of making a hush money payment to a former stripper ahead of the 2016 election. His Truth Social post called for his supporters to protest. But it remains unclear when or even if Trump will be indicted. In a new development, a former legal advisor to Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney, arrived in court on Monday afternoon to testify before the grand jury. Robert Costello is reportedly prepared to discredit Cohen's testimony. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office subpoenaed Costello's law office last week for records and invited Costello to testify. Details of his testimony remain unknown. The DA's office didn't confirm or deny Trump's arrest prediction. But in response to Trump's call for a protest, District Attorney Alvin Bragg sent a private email to employees over the weekend saying, We do not tolerate attempts to intimidate our office or threaten the rule of law in New York. Meanwhile, the New York Police Department is preparing for the worst. In a Twitter post, police were spotted putting up steel barricades outside the Manhattan Criminal Court. And Mayor Eric Adams on Monday said the city is preparing. NYPD is doing their normal role of making sure that uh, there are, there's no inappropriate actions in the city. But the DA may have some explaining to do. The House Judiciary Committee on Monday ordered Bragg to testify. In a three-page letter, the committee told Bragg, your apparent decision to pursue criminal charges where federal authorities decline to do so requires oversight. They also asked for a number of documents and communications related to the case. The pending indictment has also caused reactions from lawmakers. Speaker Kevin McCarthy urged Trump supporters not to protest. I don't think people should protest this, no. And I, I think President Trump, if you talk to him, he doesn't believe that either. He also called for equal justice in America. Stop going after people because you have political differences. Former Democrat Speaker Nancy Pelosi said no one is above the law, not even a former president. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis said he couldn't comment on the facts of the case, but he did say this. The Manhattan District Attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. He said these kinds of prosecutors weaponized their offices for a political agenda. And even Elon Musk weighed in. 
he predicted a landslide victory for Trump if he's put in handcuffs. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And Trump posted on Truth Social earlier today saying, quote, if disbarred and fully discredited lawyer Michael Cohen is not indicted for perjury, then perjury does not exist. In another post, he accused Bragg of having close ties to Soros and the Clinton campaign, saying, quote, Republicans and conservatives are more united than they have been in many years. Even Democrats don't like what's going on with the Manhattan DA. This is a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time, end quote. And staying with this story, earlier today I spoke with Epic Times contributor, constitutional attorney, and former senior advisor and counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis, for her take on the latest developments. Jenna Ellis, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Always great to join you. Now, all eyes are on New York after Trump's ominous warning. There's a lot of speculation now about what will actually happen. Reports are now saying there's a final surprise witness that could affect the outcome. How likely is it, do you think, that Trump could be indicted in this case? Well, the saying goes that, uh, you know, you can indict even a ham sandwich. And the reason for that is because grand juries are so incredibly one-sided. Uh, so this is only the prosecution's witnesses. There is not an ability for the defense for cross-examination or for anything of that nature. So while it's entirely possible that Trump is indicted, I think what uh, we have to really look at is what comes next. And I think that the district attorney, uh, Alvin Bragg, if he chooses to move forward on this, is really going to have a very difficult and dubious case to mount against President Trump. This is purely politically motivated. We have constitutional professor Jonathan Turley calling the alleged case legally pathetic. Turley says that Bragg would be trying to shoehorn a federal case into a state claim. Do you think that case could stand in terms of the evidence that we know of and the law? Well, I agree with Jonathan Turley and the other experts, Alan Dershowitz and others, who have said that this is um, a very legally dubious case, and it does appear to be entirely politically motivated. Even uh, the feds re refused and declined to prosecute this case, as well as Alvin Bragg's predecessor, Cyrus Vance, who was no fan of Donald Trump. So the fact that they are trying to make this, uh, this case by manipulating themselves into a legal pretzel just to get something out of it, um, I don't think is smart. I think it does look like a malicious prosecution. And ultimately, um, this really is not a legally viable case. And we have to remember, of course, that the goal of the justice system and law enforcement should not be to just get someone who is a political opponent for something. It should be to pursue crimes if and when they actually occur, and then prosecute them regardless of who the alleged perpetrator is. Here, you have Donald Trump that is simply the political opposition and the target of these malicious prosecutions. Now, if Trump is arrested this week, what do you think will be the likely outcome? Well, President Trump's lawyers have said that uh, they will comply with law enforcement. So they even said they don't expect a standoff at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, there is nothing for Governor Ron DeSantis to do. For example, a lot of people are suggesting that he should stop an extradition. And uh, that simply isn't the case here. And so I think that if uh, there is an indictment, I don't think that Trump will actually be arrested. I think that he will just simply go and cooperate with law enforcement uh, to Manhattan to appear if he uh, needs to be there in person for an arraignment. And what would it mean for Trump's campaign, do you think, if he's indicted? 
Well, I think that the base, of course, that supports President Trump and any rational American, of course, sees that this is a weaponization of the justice system and something that uh, Jim Jordan's committee on the weaponization of government is looking into. And I think that um, there's going to be significant pushback on this. And I think that will help uh, President Trump's campaign. But on the same side, um, there's never a really great time for a candidate to have to deal with either the cloud of or an actual indictment. This is something that Donald Trump hasn't ever faced. And I don't think that that is going to be a particularly good thing for the campaign. And that's what the Democrats want. They also just want to drain his war chest for a, uh, a campaign into 2024. So how this affects his ability to mount a significant uh, candidacy, I think remains to be seen. And you've said that people's trust in the system is low. What do you think would need to happen in this case to restore that trust on both sides? Well, I think that the New York governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, can come out and make a very strong statement condemning these types of weaponization of a government. And if Alvin Bragg has any credibility whatsoever and doesn't want to simply torch his legal career, then he would decline to pursue this indictment. Uh, but a lot of people are saying that the die is cast. It does remain to be seen. The Democrats are saying, well, no one is above the law. Uh, and they mentioned that with respect to Donald Trump. But I would say, well, no one is below the law either. No one deserves to be targeted and not genuinely have due process and all of the uh, considerations that would suggest that a malicious prosecution is never, ever warranted in a free and fair American society. And finally, is there anything that we haven't touched upon here that you think is important? Well, I think it is important uh, to highlight Governor Ron DeSantis's uh, statement today when, you know, he came out and very uh, clearly slammed uh, the Soros-funded district attorneys, the weaponization of government. And I think it's important to point out that he is the only Republican governor currently in America that has actually done something about Soros DAs in his own state by relieving that state attorney of his duty and facing a court challenge accordingly. And so, so for all of the uh, the Trump fans and the base that want to see Ron DeSantis involved in this, I think he's actually being very wise and having a federalist mentality to say this is not um, in any way something that lands within the province of uh, the governor's office of the state of Florida. And so he's going to stay out of it. Uh, but he also clearly recognizes that the weaponization of government is something that is un-American and should never be tolerated. And that's why he's fighting against uh, Biden and the Soros DAs in the state of Florida. All right, Jenna Ellis, former senior advisor and counsel to President Trump and constitutional attorney. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping is in Moscow holding long talks with Vladimir Putin. But the U.S. calls China's so-called peace plan unacceptable and says she is trying to cover Russia's crimes. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. And calling each other a dear friend, Russian President Vladimir Putin and China's Xi Jinping met in Moscow on Monday for a four-and-a-half-hour-long talk. She tells Putin that Russia and China share similar goals while expressing support for Putin to be re-elected. Russia's development has significantly improved under your leadership. And Putin, meanwhile, says Moscow was studying Beijing's proposals on the war in Ukraine. We studied closely your proposals on the settlement of the acute crisis in Ukraine. 
But while the Chinese Communist Party is billing the trip as a journey of friendship and peace, Western countries, including the U.S., are not buying that. The White House says it's concerned that China's so-called peace plan would help Russian troops stay in Ukraine. It basically freezes in place what Mr. Putin has been able to achieve on the ground inside Ukraine, and that's just unacceptable. And the U.S. Secretary of State says China's trying to provide cover for Russia, citing the fact that an international criminal court just issued an arrest warrant for Putin days ago. Instead of even condemning them, uh, it would rather provide diplomatic cover for Russia to continue to commit those very crimes. And Secretary Blinken says the world should not be fooled. The world should not be fooled by any tactical move by Russia, uh, supported by China or any other country, to freeze the war on its own terms. All this as the U.S. is closely watching if China could send weapons to Russia. We still don't believe that China's taken it off the table. And on U.S.-China relations, the White House tells us that Beijing is still refusing to resume military lines of communications with the U.S. But the White House says a visit to China by Secretary of State Antony Blinken and a call between President Biden and Xi are still in the cards. Reporting from the White House, Arus Howe, NTD News. The Department of State has released its worldwide human rights report. And Secretary Antony Blinken says it shows a trend that countries around the world have been backsliding in human rights conditions. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. On Monday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken made this announcement about a wrongfully detained American. Let me just start with uh, some very good news uh, this morning, and that is the release of Jeffrey Woodkey after more than six years in captivity. Woodkey was an American missionary and a humanitarian aid worker in the West African country of Niger before he was kidnapped by terrorists. That country helped facilitate Woodkey's release and no ransom was paid. Also on Monday, the Department of State released its annual report on human rights around the world. This report makes a factual, objective and rigorous accounting of human rights conditions around the world, looking at nearly 200 countries and territories. And Blinken said the report shows a noticeable trend. In 2022, in countries across every region, we continue to see a backsliding in human rights conditions. Some of the countries he mentioned specifically are Iran. In the wake of the tragic death of Masa Amini, authorities have killed hundreds of peaceful protesters, including dozens of children, and have arbitrarily detained thousands. And China. The PRC continues its abuses, including genocide and crimes against humanity against Uyghurs, repression of Tibetans, crackdown on basic rights in Hong Kong, and targeting of individuals in the, on the mainland for exercising fundamental freedoms. And an Epic Times reporter asked Aaron Barclay, the acting assistant secretary for the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights and Labor, another question about the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. The journalist wanted to know what the State Department is doing to hold the CCP accountable for removing organs from victims against their will for transplant surgeries. Most of those organs are taken from Falun Gong practitioners. Organ harvesting has been a part of the human rights report, has been reported on there. Um, and we will continue to focus on that as an issue across uh, on the broad spectrum of human rights and trafficking issues going forward where, where it comes up. To read the full human rights reports for each country, you can visit state.gov. Jason Perry, NTD News. Switzerland's biggest bank, UBS, has agreed to buy its ailing rival, Credit Suisse, in an emergency rescue deal. The Swiss National Bank issued a statement on Sunday saying the rescue would secure financial stability and protect the Swiss economy. 
The deal was also meant to quell financial market panic triggered by the failure of two American banks earlier this month. UBS is paying about $3.25 billion for Credit Suisse, about 60% less than the bank was worth when markets closed on Friday. Credit Suisse shareholders will be largely wiped out and owners of $17 billion worth of additional Tier 1 bonds, a riskier class of bank debt, will lose everything, Swiss regulators have said. The deal will not need the approval of shareholders after the Swiss government agreed to change the law to remove any uncertainty about the deal. The 167-year-old Credit Suisse has been roiled by years of scandals and recently admitted to problems with past financial reports. The takeover comes after the surprising bank runs and collapses of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the U.S., which have shaken the global banking system. Hours after the deal was announced, the U.S. Federal Reserve and several other major central banks announced a coordinated effort to boost the flow of dollars through the global financial system to keep credit flowing to households and businesses. And meanwhile, Florida is leading an effort to block the use of a central bank digital currency. Governor Ron DeSantis gave a speech today expressing his support for the measure. President Biden last year signed an executive order to explore the creation of a centralized digital currency. In a speech on Monday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said such a currency would be directly controlled by the government. So what the central bank digital currency is all about is surveilling Americans and controlling behavior of Americans. And how do we know? Because we've seen this happen in other parts of the world. Look at no further than China to see the impacts of centralized digital currency. The People's Bank of China uses its central bank to monitor citizen behavior, allowing for the surveillance of spending habits and to cut off access to goods and services. DeSantis voiced his support for efforts to ban the use of a central bank digital currency within his state. He said the ban would also apply to any central bank digital currency issued by a foreign reserve or central bank. The governor noted that this would prevent efforts to adopt a worldwide digital currency. I'm here to call on the legislature to pass legislation to expressly forbid the use of CBDC as money within Florida's uniform commercial code. This will ensure that Florida continues to be a state that supports innovation in the financial sector through the market uh, while protecting against government surveillance over your personal finances. DeSantis pointed to how the Federal Reserve reacted to the current inflation. He said that the Fed's actions have made things more difficult for the American people. Are you interested in giving these economic central planners more power over our economy, more power over your Uh, daily life and your economic activity? Uh, And I answer that question, uh, H-E double double hockey sticks, no, we cannot have that happening. And so that's why we're here today, because we've seen a lot of mismanagement uh, from the economic central planners. It's just by nature. The Florida governor is calling on like-minded states to adopt similar bills that would ban centralized digital currency. He said he's spoken with the lieutenant governor of Texas and believes that state will take similar measures. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And staying in financial news, President Biden is stepping in to support ESG. He vetoed a bill today that would have limited environmental, social and governance investing. A rule by the Labor Department allows but doesn't require retirement fund managers to invest in accordance with the ESG movement. The rule came out last year. It says fiduciaries are allowed to weigh, quote, the economic effects of climate change and other ESG considerations in their investments. 
A handful of Democratic senators joined Republicans in passing a bill against the rule in both chambers of Congress. Critics of ESG say the movement advances a political agenda and can lose profits, all without customer consent. And those customers are 152 million Americans with $12 trillion in total. Biden used his veto power for the first time today to protect the rule. He explained his decision, saying ESG factors can have a material impact on industries. He argues that it puts profits at risk if investors can't account for ESG factors. And Biden also signed a bill today that he previously was noncommittal about. It requires the Director of National Intelligence to declassify information related to the origins of COVID-19. The bill, titled the COVID-19 Origin Act, was originally sponsored by Senator Josh Hawley. The measure passed Congress unanimously after intelligence reports indicated that a Chinese lab leak was the most likely cause of the COVID-19 pandemic. Biden said in a statement, quote, we need to get to the bottom of COVID-19's origins to help ensure we can better prevent future pandemics. The president added that some information will be redacted to protect U.S. national security. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, French President Emmanuel Macron survives a no-confidence vote over his controversial pension reform. And in college basketball, just 16 teams are left after a wild weekend of action. NTD's Dave Martin recaps the madness and looks at the best matchup yet to come. That and more coming up. In France, with only nine votes short, the parliament today rejected a no-confidence vote against the government after a heated debate. The motions were filed after lawmakers grew furious that Macron used special constitutional powers to force through an unpopular pension reform bill. Now, as the reform can go ahead, unions have called for more protests and there may be political consequences for the president. Parliament saw heavy police presence as French lawmakers took the vote. According to a recent poll, 74% of French people want this administration to resign. Despite the pressure on the streets, center-right members of Parliament sided with Macron's allies to reject the no-confidence vote, preventing leftist and nationalist parties from ousting the government. A successful no-confidence vote would have toppled the government and killed the legislation, which is set to raise the retirement age by two years to 64. President Macron then might have dissolved the National Assembly, leading to new parliamentary elections. Though the no-confidence motion was rejected, Macron might still decide to go down this route. Without a majority in Parliament, it's likely many government bills won't pass, leaving the president with no choice. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Sweet 16 is set with plenty of surprises following a wild weekend in college basketball. First, Princeton shocked the world when they upset Arizona in round one, marking just the 11th time a 15 seed has upset a two and the second time this has happened to the Wildcats. Their run didn't end there though as the Tigers then topped Missouri by 15 points to advance their first regional semifinal since 1967. 
Meanwhile, in the East region, Fairleigh Dickinson took down top-seeded Purdue in the opener, marking just the second time a 16 seed has beaten a one. The Knights' run, though, ended in the second round to Florida Atlantic, which has quietly built up an impressive 33-3 record. In the West region, the defending champion Kansas Jayhawks are out after Arkansas edged them in the round of 32 Saturday. The region also has what's set up to be the best matchup coming up as UCLA will face Gonzaga in Las Vegas. And in tennis news, Novak Djokovic has fallen back to second in the ATP rankings after having to withdraw from a tournament in California as he's unable to enter the U.S. because he's unvaccinated. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has six games on tap including the streaking Philadelphia 76ers who've won eight in a row, while their star center Joel Embiid has recently become the betting favorite to win his first MVP award. They host the Chicago Bulls. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has five games on for tonight, featuring the defending champion Colorado Avalanche, who've now won five in a row to go from being in eighth in the West into a tie for fifth place. They host the last place Chicago Blackhawks. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And what are the happiest countries in the world? A new report that just came out ranks countries based on their happiness, and Scandinavian nations top the list. The World Happiness Report for 2023 ranks Finland as number one for the sixth year in a row. In second through fifth place are Denmark, Iceland, Israel, and the Netherlands. The United States is ranked 15. The report from the UN draws on global survey data. Countries are ranked based on residents' average life evaluations over the three preceding years. The report found that happiness was remarkably resilient from before and after the pandemic. It attributes this in part to stronger feelings of positive social support and benevolent deeds like helping strangers are about 25% more common than pre-pandemic. The report found that life satisfaction was correlated with such altruism. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.